If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Truth in My Days podcast is sponsored by the Truth in My Days ministry. Welcome to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello all. Today, we have Sonia interviewing John about literary dependence and the synoptic problem. This is looking at the process by which the Gospel authors went about writing the Gospel books. Given that the Gospel books are so similar, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it raises the questions such as, do they copy each other? Are the similarities due to the divine inspiration from the Holy Spirit? What do the evangelical scholars say about this? Is there something wrong with their approach? John will be looking to answer these questions and more. We're continuing from the previous episode today. We hope you enjoy. See, here's why he's stuck. If these indicators are there in Matthew 28, but we're supposed to say that regardless of the indicators, Jesus actually rose. Then how can we use the same indicators in Matthew 27 to say that these indicators show that the, they didn't rise? I mean, it's either both or neither. You, you can't have this kind of double standard for special pleading where in the, the first case, those signs prove that there was no literal resurrection of saints, where in the very next chapter you say, well, the signs are there, but there's still literal Well, did, did, did he, did, just remind me, did, did Lacona ever actually say that those symbols prove the saints didn't rise, or only that it it means that maybe they didn't rise, not that they didn't necessarily rise because maybe it's a symbol? Well, he said that, yes, he didn't come right out and say for sure a symbol. He, what he said is these are typical symbols, so this could be simply poetic language, could be historical, could just be poetic, and I think poetic is the better understanding. So so, so then if those same symbols are there for Jesus, it wouldn't, even by his reasoning, it wouldn't prove that Jesus didn't rise. It would, it would just, but it would weaken the case. Well, it would become problematic, though, because as I said, it's double standard. You could say, well, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It doesn't necessarily mean it's not historical. But if you're going to say that in Matthew 27, it's not historical, you're going to have trouble saying in Matthew 28, it is historical. The phenomenological language in Matthew 27 indicates that the events described therein are non-historical. You can't insist that the account of Jesus, which uses the same phenomenological language, is historical. Now, as you said, he could... He could assert that the language is used in a symbolic manner in Matthew 27, but literally in Matthew 28. But then you have to ask, what's the objective reason given to support this? What, what objective reason would he say for saying, well, it's, it's literal in the case of Jesus, but not in the case of the saints? He'd have to appeal to other proofs of the resurrection. No doubt. Exactly right. He'd have to go to other evidences for the bodily resurrection of Jesus. But in that case, if Matthew uses this apocalyptic language to describe what would then be an actual historical resurrection in the case of Jesus, Lacona would only be proving that Matthew does use this sort of language literally to describe actual events, 
which would mean we're backed into the fact that there's no reason to take the resurrection of the Old Testament saints in Matthew 27. It's not historical. So what's he going to do here? Lose a debate. I don't know. Um, yeah, he, he, he will. This is the way he goes here. He will say, well, and this is really the only argument that I know of that he came up with. He says that, well, look, the early Christians and their opponents, they viewed the claim that Jesus had risen as being a claim about an actual historical effect. Oh, so so now our, our scholar pays attention to what the early Christians say on this issue, but ignores what they say when it comes to the go- the date of the gospel books and who wrote them. There's a very selective appeal on the part of evangelical scholars to the testimony of the early church fathers, yes. And that is problematic. But here's the thing, that's what he will say. Well, well he, he says that the original readers would have been able to tell. And he says the original readers, when they read about the resurrection of Jesus, they t- could tell that it was meant to be historical. Because when they talk about it, they always treat it as, uh, as an actual historical event. Is that a good argument? Not sure. Yeah. Well, it, it, it has some merit to it. But here's where his case again blows up in his face. Yes, the early Christians and their opponents viewed the claim that Jesus rose from the dead as being an actual historical event. They also viewed the claim in Matthew 27 about the Old Testament saints as an actual historical event. So what can he say to that? Yeah, let's look at it. Ignatius, writing about the year AD 107, writes this. By those in heaven, I mean such as are possessed of incorporeal natures, by those on earth, the Jews and Romans, and such persons as were present at that time when the Lord was crucified, and by those under the earth, the multitude that arose along with the Lord. For says the scripture, many bodies of the saints that slept arose, their graves being opened. He descended indeed into Hades alone, but he arose accompanied by a multitude. That's in the epistle to the Trallians, section 9. Irenaeus, you remember him, early church father, who was a student of Polycarp, was a student of the apostle John, writing around AD 180 says this, He suffered who can lead those souls aloft that follow his ascension. This event was also an indication of the fact that when the holy soul of Christ descended to Hades, many souls ascended and were seen in their bodies. That's from Arrhenius Fragments 28. Clement of Alexandria in the late 2nd or early 3rd century wrote this, The gospel says that many bodies of those that slept arose, plainly as having been translated to a better state, there took place then a universal movement and translation through the economy of the Savior. Stromata 6.6. So these and other early Christian writers affirm the historicity of the resurrection of the Old Testament saints in Matthew 27. Now, they were undoubtedly far more familiar with Greco-Roman bioi than is Lacona. And they, they, if, if there were signs there that would tell them this didn't really happen, these people would know it. But they said it did really happen. There's a certain problem in the attitude that modern-day scholars know these things so much better than the actual early Christians. So, the liberal skeptics, I think, are are sitting back waiting for for the evangelicals to go as far as they're going to go on this, and they're going to jump in, and here's where they're going to go. The earliest source about Jesus is Q, it has no resurrection. The next one is Mark, it has no resurrection. The next one is Matthew, and it has no resurrection. It's just apocalyptic language about Jesus, just as it was in 
in 27 about the saints. It's apocalyptic. He says Jewish apocalyptic. So now you have no resurrection in Q, in Mark, or in Matthew. Where do you have to go for the first account of the resurrection? John. Uh, before John? Luke. Luke. Luke has a resurrection. What do we know about Luke? He's a Gentile. He's a Gentile. He didn't understand Jewish apocalyptic. When he used his sources, remember this is literary dependence, when he used his sources, he looked at Matthew, he saw the account of the resurrection, he didn't understand Jewish apocalyptic. He thought it was meant to be taken literally. And bing, bang, boom, a resurrection is created by the Gentile writer in the gospel according to Luke. Isn't that just what liberals would love to have? There's still John, which is very problematic, but not so much for the liberals because they will say that was just theological. It's a very late date. So we don't have to take it seriously. And once again, evangelical scholars are lining up to agree with them. One debate between a well-known evangelical scholar and, and Bart Arman, the arch-skeptic. Arman was saying, you know, gospel according to John, the I am statements that he made, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life, I am the door, I am the vine. He didn't really say that, did he? I mean, if you were there at the time, you wouldn't hear those words coming out of his mouth, would you? And our evangelical scholar said, yeah, I agree with you. He didn't, probably didn't say those things. John, he said, it's, like, it's wisdom literature. It's, it's like a, a giant, giant parable, but with some historical nuggets in it. It's an evangelical scholar. And, but he says, but you can't say it's not historically accurate. He said, quote, I object to saying it's not historically accurate. If something isn't exactly historical, how is it not historically accurate? You can't, in other words, you can't say it's not historically accurate because it was never intended to be history in the first place. So, yeah, so, so if these claims are accepted, it basically ruins the case for Christianity. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Now we'll be left with Q, no resurrection later, quite a bit later, Mark, no resurrection, quite a bit later, Matthew, no real resurrection, just apocalyptic, poetic language. Luke, later still, he has a resurrection, but because he didn't understand apocalyptic, he made a mistake. And then we have John, but John is just a giant parable, wasn't meant to be historical. And, and that's, that has gone pretty much further than, than any liberal scholar used to go in the past. It's the evangelical scholars that are destroying the gospel first. So, so what are we left with then? If we give up on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it doesn't matter, right? One popular level apologist says this, the accounts in the Gospels are neither the only nor the earliest evidence we have of Christian writing about the resurrection. So isn't that good? Because if the Gospels go out, it's, we have others. What, what else do we have? What's the earliest? Well, she says, that honor goes to 1 Thessalonians, one of the earliest of Paul's letters, which was written around AD 50. So we have evidence that about two decades after Christ's death, there was a group of people who insisted he was raised from the dead and had built a decent portion of their theology around that fact, which doesn't happen overnight. But the gospel accounts were penned decades after the events they describe. So should we feel confident in the truth of the resurrection, even if the gospel books have no resurrection or very questionable accounts, but we have these letters of Paul. How confident would you feel? Well, Paul wasn't an eyewitness. Paul wasn't an eyewitness. Paul was not an eyewitness. Paul had a vision. Is that something 
that's sufficient for us to stake our eternal destiny on. Well, no, because all kinds of people can have hallucinations. Well, yeah. You can't write off the post-resurrection as hallucinations because they happen to to so many people in so many different places and so many times. You'd be a lot more successful if you're a liberal scholar trying to argue that Paul had a hallucination. And they have done so. But because we have the gospel books and the eyewitness testimonies, you're not going to get too far in that because our belief in Jesus risen from the dead is not based on Paul. It's based on Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John. But now we're being told that these just really aren't having resurrections. Now we're, we're dependent on Paul and this, this popular level apologist. Well, you, you heard what she said. Yeah, we've got, we've got Paul's letters, 1 Thessalonians, written around AD 50. So we have evidence that about two decades after Christ's death, there was a group of people who insisted that he was raised from the dead and had built a decent portion of their theology around that fact. Let me translate that. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but please join us for the next part, same time and same place. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. If you like our content, please share this information with family and friends. It helps us a lot. We also would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Truth In My Days as one word again. Truth In My Days as one word. No spaces in between. Or reach us by email at info at truthinmydays.com. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you.